My name is Zakir Muhammad, and you are listening to the Living Legacy Podcast. This weekly podcast features women of purpose sharing stories of resilience. They are wives, artists, entrepreneurs, they run businesses, and here they will share their stories of how they overcame obstacles and how they're juggling it all. If you're ready to learn about professionalism, entrepreneurship, business, travel, life, and love, you're in the right place. You will hear real and raw stories of survival. Now it's your turn to be inspired to step outside of your own comfort zone. I am a cancer survivor, brand cultivating strategist, world traveler, and a professional photographer. I'm your host of the Living Legacy Podcast. Let's get into it. Imagine meeting someone for the first time and having no clue of just how long you'll know each other. That's exactly what my current podcast guest is all about. I met Asia Ali Muhammad in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We are both practicing Muslims, so we met at the place of worship, also known as a mosque. Our parents met first, and it was just two of us placed together. It was two and two. There's three. There's a trio. There's three of us, but two and two were kind of placed together, and basically the rest is history. It's just been such an honor of each of us seeing each other grow into, you know, the woman that we are meant to be. With Asia, there were plenty of times where we had plenty of sleepovers. We even stayed with each other long term for a little bit. And through that experience, see, I was always a slow eater. There's something about me just savoring my food, but I was also a very picky eater. And to me, you're here in the podcast how if it wasn't for her, I would not be as much of a picky eater. I would not know how to really spice up and flavor up certain foods that we may eat on a regular basis. I may not even be familiar with two dining experiences if it wasn't for Asia and her family. She just recently graduated the bachelor's in nutrition from the University of Alabama. She was born in Germany, grew up in Chattanooga, mainly finished out schools in Tampa, and now she currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia with her husband. So in this podcast, we talk a lot about food, nutrition, and just dealing with mental health, because mental health is very important, and how mental, mental health experiences shaped her into what she wants to do with her career and with her life. This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh, America's most affordable and popular weekly recipe delivery service. You choose delicious recipes and they deliver them straight to your door. With step-by-step instruction, these meals can be made in less than an hour. I love using leftover seasoning and having the option to have fulfilling vegetarian meals. If you portion it just right, you have meals for two days. Get $40 off your first meal box on me. Use code Z-A-A-N-A-Y. So today's guest on my podcast is a very special guest. This is the person that I believe really introduced me to my love for food. So of course my mom had to, you know, give me some food in order for me to actually eat, you know, when I was younger. But as far as once I got older, the person who really gave me the true love for food is my best friend. And today you have the honor to meet her and meet her wife. She loved food so much too. And you'll just understand, we don't even know what that one thing is yet, but we've been friends for 20 plus years. So in this conversation, you'll hear it, you'll see it. 
And without further ado, please welcome Asia Ali Muhammad. Oh, how would one of you going to answer on the air? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hi. Yes, I'm Asia Ali Muhammad now. Thank you for remembering that. I was wondering if you were going to get that. You're welcome. Um, thank you, Sakira, for having me <laughs> on your podcast. I'm honored. So, um, I'm really excited to be on Zakira's podcast. And when she talked to me about what topics we were going to do and, and we decided on food, of course, I got excited because I love food. But the funny thing is that you said that, like, you got interested in food with me. But I remember, like, growing up and going to your house and, like, your mom always had foods I had, like, never tried before. Or, like, she had foods that, like, I hadn't tried in that way. Like, I can still remember eating, like, apple butter and like squash for like the first time like you know we had like the healthy snacks or like we would have like um like a fruit and cheese plate or something like Mm. only at your house did i like get those types of things so it's kind (laughs) of like funny that you bring that up because your mom kind of like she kind of put those little seeds in me to like you know look for healthier options too for snacks but i also did go to your house and eat a can of frosting too so and and that's what's funny too because when I would yeah. go to your house, it's like yeah. it's it's almost the same thing. It's like okay, yeah. well, what's this? And I don't know if I like this. And how should I try it? And you'd be like, just try it because there's a little yeah. twist to it. And that was a exactly. twist to it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, so the million dollar question that almost everyone tries to plan for, but where do you see yourself in five years? Oh wow, five years. Okay. So I think in five years, at least professionally, I want to be just doing something that really, really helps children um, as well as adults with their nutritional like deficiencies and issues with obesity, issues with a lot of weight related conditions like heart disease and diabetes and high cholesterol and all of those things. Um, I originally just thought I'm going to be a dietitian. Like I've been thinking I want to be a dietitian since I was 16 because I love food so much, but I wanted to be able to do something that would help people that I could be good at. And I felt like I was pretty decent at like giving people advice and listening to them. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned is important with helping people with their weight or just with their nutrition or their health in general is being able to be a good listener and being able to encourage someone. And I felt like I was pretty decent at that. So then I kind of started going towards um, the field of dietetics in which, you know, I would be able to do that in a clinical setting. And then, you know, when you get in school and you actually start going through classes and you go through life, things change. And I realized that I did not have to be a registered dietitian to be able to do the things I wanted to do. So right now it's still up there as one of my options. Um, It's still considered, you know, a dream of mine, but I really have expanded my view of nutrition. And as I've taken more courses, I've realized that there are a lot of things that you can do with nutrition. Um, There are a lot of areas in which you can work that are not just related to being a dietitian. So in five years, I just really want to be doing something that I feel fulfilled and that I feel like I'm making a difference and I feel like I'm helping people and that can really be anything. And that kind of takes the stress off of me. (laughs) Um, So it, it really could be anything, but as long as I'm working with food and I'm helping people, Um, that's where I want to be at. And when it comes to um, personal goals, I think we'll talk about this later, but um, I have my own issues with eating that I've had to overcome over the years. And I think in five years, if I could just be at the point where I felt more confident about that, um, and I felt like I, you know, had a a really good routine, and I really felt strong about it, I think that would be amazing. Um, And maybe a couple of kids. So we'll see. 
Well, let's just go ahead and jump out into it then, because I know that. <laughs> I I remember my I remember you know whenever I was there, I, mean, I would see it. You know, I mean, I I would just think, cool, we just we just have another snack. You know, I didn't think much of it. So, but of course, you know, there's a lot of people that do struggle with it. So, tell me more about your experience with emotional eating. Yeah. So, um, this is actually something that I just actually even allowed myself to admit. I feel like, you know how you have those little things and you're just like, I kind of know this is a problem, but you just don't really admit it to yourself. And that's kind of like that first step is like, I'm going to admit this to myself that like, I have a problem with this. So, um, I think all throughout my life, if I look back, I've always had an issue with food. I've never actually been overweight, but I just always had like that kind of over obsession with food and I mean, it's cool to like food, but it was getting to the point where I was solving all of my problems with food. And the problem with that is the more problems that I got, the more that I ate. And when I look back, I feel like one of the biggest um, times in my life that I was dealing with this is in college. And I know everybody knows about the Freshman 15, where, you know, you gain that weight and you have more freedom and you can kind of eat what you want to eat and there's food on campus. But I was taking it to a whole nother level. So I would constantly eat fast food, junk food, just like those quick calories, but I was hiding the food. And I was noticing that like, I would do it like a couple of times a week where I would stop on the way home, I would get fast food, and then I didn't want my family to know, so I would like hide the trash in my car like, underneath the seat, or I would throw it away at another grocery store, I would throw it away in the garbage, um, in the garage. And I was really, really, really having a hard time with um, anxiety and depression. It's also another, um, you know, area that I'm really passionate about is mental health. And um, at 16, I was diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression. And so that kind of, I think, skyrocketed the issue that I already had with emotional eating, because now it was like, this is what I'm going to use to soothe myself. Um, And it was just getting out of hand. And luckily, you know, I wasn't gaining too much weight. But I mean, there are other issues that you can have, even if you're not gaining weight, because those foods, they can cause inflammation. And they're just not good for you to be eating. You shouldn't be eating that many calories. And they're not fulfilling. They don't give you a lot of nutrients. And so you're tired, you're sluggish. And this is what I was going through. It was a cycle. I didn't feel good emotionally. The foods were probably triggering that. And so because I didn't feel good emotionally, then I would go eat more food. So constant issue. And then I think the guilt that I was feeling from it. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I didn't know who I could talk to. And I feel like no one would take me seriously because for one, I was studying nutrition. So everyone's thinking like, you know what you're doing? Like people would constantly tell me like, you know, how should I eat? Or like, you look like you work out and I know you know what you're doing. And that feeling kind of started to weigh on me. And then on top of that, like I said, I never really gained weight. So I was always considered to be at a healthy weight. And so no one thought that I had issues with eating. So um, I've come a long way since then, but most recently I've been able to, you know, really take a good look at myself and say, you do have an issue with this and it's okay. Um, as I started to get to near the end of my career with school, I started to realize that I was actually afraid of admitting it to myself because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to help people. I was afraid that this issue that I had made me a hypocrite because I was going in every day. I used to work as a health and wellness counselor and I was encouraging people to eat healthy and to not, you know, you know, get caught up in their emotional eating, but I was also dealing with it. I literally leave work and have the same issue myself. So I felt terrible. And then I realized that this does not make me, you know, any less of a counselor. And if anything, it actually made me able to connect with those people better because I knew from firsthand experience how it felt. And I knew what tactics I was using at this point to be able to battle it. And it's going to be a lifelong battle and that's okay. I love it. You dropped so many gems. So many gems. (laughs) 
bomb drop. <laughs> so, so I had a, a podcast episode. Um, if I have my numbers correct, it's episode seven with Dr. Adrian Pinkney, and she briefly talked about choosing what makes you feel good, but what's really good for you. So mm-hmm. she gave the example of, okay, I can eat this pizza cake. I can eat this. I can now. It will feel good for a temporary, temporary moment, but how, you know, what can I do to show for long-term, you know, feeling good? So what do you encourage for those who do want to eat healthy, but all they know is dairy, fast food, junk food, all that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's kind of referred to as like intuitive eating, like not really focusing on like eating a particular way, but listening to your body and knowing what things actually make your body feel good. Um, and I think nowadays people are really tuning into certain things um, that do cause them inflammation or cause them to get like an upset stomach. And those are the things that you want to possibly eliminate from your diet or find a way to just have them in moderation. So um, I definitely had a, a huge issue with not just eating things that made me feel good. And I had to kind of, you know, take a step back and start thinking, well, like, what is triggering me to eat those foods? So I would say the biggest thing you can do is a food diary. And, you know, luckily, we don't have to use the old school, like pen and paper. We have apps now um, that even allow you to mark down your emotion when you're feeling hungry. So if you want a piece of chocolate, you have to sit there and think first, okay, I'm going to eat this piece of chocolate, or I want this piece of chocolate. Why do I want it? Am I feeling sad? Am I eating it because I truly want the chocolate? Or am I trying to fix something that happened early in the day or something that's, you know, stressing me? So I think stopping and not just immediately giving yourself that you know food is going to help just taking a step to you know constantly write that down or make a note of it and then trying to think okay is there another option so can I do something else that makes me happy and for me there were other things that made me happy it's just I was so in the habit I was so conditioned to think that food was just the easiest way to get rid of the pain and like you said it's it doesn't really help because I always felt guilty I always felt ashamed and I knew I didn't really want it Um, So if you look behind me, I have some art back there. And this is one of the things that I kind of started to pick up over the years that actually helped me to um, deal with a lot of the emotions that I was feeling. And it was an outlet. So think about doing something else before you even get to that space. One thing I would tell my clients is like, think of a list of maybe even just five things that you could do the next time you have a craving and then sit there and think, is this something that I want because of my emotions or is something I really want because I'm actually hungry and I need this food? What is it going to do for me? What is chocolate going to do for me? So if you can't decide that you don't want to eat something, at least eat something that's going to have more nutrients and have those ideas already on hand of things that you can have, have them already in your fridge. If you're out, make sure you already have a snack, something that you can eat that's going to at least be beneficial or functional for your body. And if it's not food, which is probably the better option, if you have that toxic relationship with food you're trying to get away from treating everything with food so look for something that is an activity or talking to a friend or going for a walk or dancing do something that fulfills you and is healthy for you other than eating food boom (laughs) (laughs) i love it so mental health is definitely important self-care is definitely important i feel like this year is the year where everyone's really joining the movement as far as you know being more consciously aware of their own mental health i mean we all deal with it so what are ways that you deal with your mental health and have a handle on it so i would say um the biggest thing is just not um feeling bad when my mental health does flare up 
because I think that was one of the issues I dealt with the most. And I feel like if you have any of these conditions that are, you know, you're diagnosed with, you're probably going to have a flare up here and there. There are certain things that are going to trigger it. and stress is going to come and it's going to trigger it and you can't always avoid it, but don't, you know, let it get you down. I kind of just like tell myself, you know, I'm not perfect, but I try to just tell myself, okay, I don't feel good for right now. Let me give myself a couple of hours to maybe be by myself and kind of collect myself. But then I have to stop feeling sorry for myself and I have to get up and I have to do something. And even if it's just one little thing, um, I used to do this activity where I would just tell myself if I can just do these three things at the beginning of the day, I would give myself a to-do list when I was really, really having, you know, a hard time with depression and say, if I can just do these three things, it doesn't matter what they are. If I can get them done by the end of the day, I can feel accomplished. I'm not going to think about what I didn't do. I'm not going to think about how I could have done it better. I'm just going to feel proud that I did do it. So sometimes you have to create small victories for yourself, and that's what's going to push you through until that, you know, that little hard rough patch is over. I love it. I love it. So it's funny you mentioned that also because I think it was also in my episode six, I had an interview with Taisha Bradley. She's an entrepreneur, publisher, the whole bit. But we talked about... Um, we both were in an online class together, technically how we met, and then we happened to live around a corner, how small, what a small world. But she <laughs> talked about how, um, well, the importance of like writing down your small wins. So as small as I got up today, as small as I, you know, kissed my husband today, something like that. So um, we can kind of talk more about that, like how just a matter of writing it down monthly, writing it down daily of what small win did I do today? And it's good to be able to look back on that and say, you know what, it's not all bad. And it's not, exactly. it's gonna, it, it'll come back around. <laughs> exactly. That's right. So tell us about marriage life. Well, <laughs> so um, I've been married a little bit over maybe a month and a half. So not that long. Definitely. Yeah, nearly well. Um, and I've had to move as well. So it's not just being a new way, but it's also, you know, moving to a different state. So I moved from Florida to um, Georgia and um, it's actually been great. I mean, I know it's, it's always an adjustment, you know, doing something like that, but it's honestly been great. I think the best part of married life so far is being able to just be with someone that you consider your best friend all the time. Um, and because we were long distance for a while and just not being able to like be around them and see them whenever you felt like. Um, I mean, FaceTime is amazing, but it, it just doesn't solve everything. So I feel like just being able to wake up and just see him, like the small things and being able to just like cook for each other or just go to the store. It's it's really nice. It's a blessing. So he's kind of had the focus on um, physical education and sports therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Physical therapy. I mean, he has a really strong interest in um, just exercise science and, you know, rehabbing athletes and just personal fitness, working as a trainer, kind of all in the atmosphere. And um, he loves basketball and he played basketball all throughout school. And now he's a basketball coach as well. Very nice. So you get the, I feel like you get the best of both worlds. You with I know. dietitian, nutrition. kind of pushed me on that other end because I'm not as disciplined <laughs> with exercise. It's definitely, you know, harder for me, but he's been an athlete his whole life. So it's nice to have somebody like, right there that can kind of like push you in the best way and then mm -hmm. I get like a trainer for free so it's nice love it love it <laughs> <laughs> all right we've been friends for a long time girl mm -hmm. yeah wow <laughs> not everyone has that has you know has the ability to have that you know through all ups and downs and still be friends but why do you think it's so important to have that the handful of friends that are you know genuine 
Yes. So, I mean, I was thinking about this in college. I took a couple um, gerontology classes, which is just the study of like the aging process and like study of like older people and all the, the different uh, lifestyle changes that they go through as they um, age. And they were comparing people who had lived to be extremely old, like maybe in their hundreds to people who were kind of passing at like maybe 60 to 80 years old. And they were trying to find out the differences between their lifestyles. And one of the biggest differences they saw was that the people who live longer had really strong um, social connections. And it wasn't even just that they had friends, but these were the same friends they had from childhood. And I thought that was really interesting because I, I do feel like having those friends that you consider to be lifelong friends or genuine that are loyal that you can always call on. It doesn't matter how much you see them, but just knowing that they're there, I really think that it does, um, you know, improve your overall well-being, which leads usually to, you know, a healthier life and a longer life. So um, I think just having those genuine friends, it's, I don't know, it, it really just makes you feel like you have, um, security and they, they become your family. I mean, you, you know, consider that all those years that you've had together, it does, I know with me and you, it's like, we've lived apart, we've lived together, we've gone to the same school, we've separated, we've, we've been overseas before, but it's like, I knew that you were always there. And I think it really, really does make you feel good um, because I've never had like a big group of friends, but I feel like the friends that I did have were always very genuine. So it really is about quality over quantity. Definitely, definitely. Where have you traveled to then? So not that many places. Um, I, I really, really, really want to start traveling more, um, but I haven't been that many places. I have been to Paris, which is really nice. That was a gift from my sister. Yeah, your um, sister's was, favorite place. Yeah, she's a jet setter. She's definitely always traveling, um, and she's really, really uh, given me the opportunity to see some, some nice places. But Paris was great. I mean, I was like one of the few that actually wasn't like interested in going to Paris before I went, but it was a free trip. So then I went and it was amazing. I mean, it's, it's honestly like you can't explain it until you get there, but I just feel like there's just, I don't know, there's something in the air there. Like when you're just walking around, it, it really is a nice place to be. And it, it's everything about it, like the food, the museums, the art, the people, everyone was so sweet. I didn't know any French and everybody was just really, really um, nice and polite there. So I really enjoyed Paris. Um, and then I went to the Bahamas on a cruise, which that was also really, really nice. Um, other than that, I mean, I've been a couple of places in the U.S., not that much. I mean, at least you've been places. I, I, yeah, I've been a couple of places. I've been to Chicago. I've been to D.C. I've been to Maryland. I've been to a couple places here in the States, but not that much. So hopefully I could start traveling a little bit more because... I mean, I, I think you learn a lot about yourself when you travel and you, you see how you interact with other people and you truly get to, you know, learn about other cultures like firsthand and not just reading things from a book or looking at things on television. It's just, it's an amazing experience. So. So where do you want to travel to though? I really want to go to New Zealand and my husband really wants to go to Amsterdam. I definitely want to travel more around in the U.S. I would like to get to the West Coast. So I have been to Arizona and I've been to California, but California was like a snippet. I went to like Disneyland and that was it. So I would love to be able to go to Cali again and like actually like stay for a while and do other things besides Disney. But um, yeah, probably some other places in the, in the States on the West Coast, maybe go up North a little bit, maybe check out um, like Jersey or something. So I'm open to everything. So. Good. <laughs>
where can we find you on the web? Oh, well, right now, um, I've kind of <laughs> become kind of minimal uh, with where you can find me on the internet, but I am on Instagram. I always use my Instagram, um, and my username is that, T-H-A-T, uh, German Coco. Um, so it's that German cocoa. And on there, I do post about um, fitness and nutrition, not as often. Hopefully I'll get more into that. I might just create a separate page, um, a professional page. But as of now, that is where you can find me. And I do post like if I have a recipe or I'm starting a new um, routine, I do post on there as well. Well, as a, as a personal marketing tip, don't create a new page. They keep, oh, keep well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> for me. <laughs> and then people can also professionals maybe can also connect with you on linkedin yes so asia ali so first name is a i and z as in zebra y a and then the last name is a l i so on linkedin asia ali now we want a little bit why did you name that german coco oh <laughs> i probably explained that okay so um, I came up with my username like when Instagram like first came out and I never changed it ever, ever, ever. Um, so my parents were both in the military and that's where they met. And then they had me shortly after. So I was born in Frankfurt, Germany on the military base. And I don't know, it's kind of just become one of those things. Like, I feel like it's, it's not that interesting because if you're, you know, from the military, I feel like everybody's born in Frankfurt, but like, Growing up, like everyone thought that was like amazing. So I would always tell people I was born in Germany. I wish we had stayed longer, but we only stayed a year. So I didn't like learn German or like, I don't remember anything. So hopefully I'll get back over to Germany. But that's kind of where I went with the German and then Coco because I'm brown. So that's <laughs> Coco. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for listening to the Living Legacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and download so you don't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more, you can visit ZakiraNayar.com. That's Z-A-A-K-I-R-A-H-N-A-Y-Y-A-R.com.